today. Uh, but today we, we are um, in, in the final week of this series, the seven-week series on the, 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 the seven churches in Revelation. And, and really what we've seen is, is Jesus has been communicating with these seven very real local churches around Asia Minor, ancient Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And, 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 and we've just been looking at the words that, that this king risen, victorious Jesus has for the church. And, and just to kind of give you an idea of where all this is taking place, we have this little map here, and, and you'll see down there in the bottom left corner, you'll see the, the, the island of Patmos. That's where John is, is writing from. And then the, his first letter is to the church in Ephesus, and they were the loveless church. Their heart had grown cold. They had forsaken their first love. Everything looked so good for Ephesus on the outside, but on the inside, uh, uh, things were not nearly as well as they were perceived. And, and then Jesus continued on, just going clockwise, to the, the suffering church in Smyrna, to the compromising church in Pergamum, to the tolerating church in Thyatira, to the dead church in Sardis, to the faithful church, imploring them to hold on in Philadelphia. And that brings us to this final church today, the church in Laodicea. And at the very beginning of this series, I, I, I told you that I had been asked about, about the churches in Revelation and which ones I believed were most uh, or, or most resembled like the modern day church today. And I hope for those of you who have spent some time here throughout this series, I hope that you've, you've kind of recognized and, and, and possibly noticed that, that what Jesus said to all of these churches, all of them is, is super applicable to us today. However, however, the message to the church in Laodicea, it is so powerful, it is so convicting, and my prayer is today, my prayer throughout this week has been to borrow the words of Jesus that we will have ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I'm just going to be honest with you today. I believe God's wanting to do something in this place today. I have a great sense of expectation for today. And if you've been around here long, you know that I don't begin every sermon with those words. It's not that I don't always expect God to do something, but I don't always voice it. But I truly, truly believe that God has something that he wants to do in us today. And so that's why I am imploring the Spirit to please come and imploring us to please have ears to hear what the Spirit has to say. Because as I've been thinking about this message for the past few weeks, just knowing that these words were on the horizon, there is this one question that just kept coming to my mind that I want to ask you this morning, and it's this. What are your expectations? What are your expectations what are your expectations whenever you come to church? What are your expectations whenever you open up scripture? Do you expect to encounter Jesus? Do you expect to be convicted? Or do you expect nothing? Just an opportunity to be able to come and, and kind of just mark something off, off your list. But... But the thing that you're going to notice today in Jesus' words to the church in Laodicea is, is that he has absolutely zero kind words for the church in Laodicea. And, the, and, and, and I fear the, 
the reasons why Jesus doesn't have any kind words for this church are going to sound so terrifyingly familiar. So, that anyone who has ears listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. But before we, we jump into the text, I, I want to give you as much background information as I can about what's taking place in Laodicea because the message that Jesus has to this church, it is so, so personal and, 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 and connected to their daily lives and their daily experiences. So there are really four things I want to point out about Laodicea before we, we continue on. The first one is, is that the, the, the Laodicea was known for their incredible, incredible wealth. Like these people were fully, fully loaded. They were like the Manhattan or the Wall Street of, of, of today. They, they were the center of the banking world. And, and much of this was because of their location, which put them in the perfect spot uh, for goods and trades and commercial prosperity. And just to try and give you a little bit of an idea of the kind of prosperity that the church in Laodicea was dealing with, they, they, in, in, in the year AD 60, a lot like we talked about last week with the church in Philadelphia, in the year AD 60, uh, Laodicea was completely flattened by an earthquake. And whenever Rome came in to try and offer some assistance like they did to, to Philadelphia, whenever uh, Rome came to Laodicea to offer some sort of assist, uh, assistance, they're like, no, we're good. We got this. We have all the reserves we could ever need. We're not in need of any kind of handout or anything like that. We, we, we don't need your help in any way, Rome. And to us and our, our Western ears, we hear that and we're thinking, wow, man, that's kind of admirable, right? But there's something very, very dangerous that begins to take place whenever we believe that we can handle everything on our own. They were so proud that they didn't need help from anyone. They were so proud of their financial independence and their self-sufficiency, and that pride bled into every area of their lives. Another thing that they were known for was their clothing manufacturing. Their, their textile industry was thriving. The Laodiceans, they, they had this world-famous breed of black-wooled sheep. They were incredibly soft and had this dark, violet, glossy color to them, and and the wealthy, they would travel from all around to Laodicea to buy this, this wool. And then also Laodicea would, would export, they, they would ship this wool all around the world. Then another thing that they were known for was, was their medical center. They had like the world-class medical center in Laodicea in that day. They were the, the go-to place for anyone who had some sort of medical problem, specifically if you had an ear problem or an eye problem. They had this eye medication that was supposed to solve anything and everything for the people. So whenever you take a step back and you look at Laodicea, here's what you see. They had all the money they could ever want. They had the finest clothing anyone had ever seen. And they had the greatest health care that anyone knew about in that day. But they were missing one big thing. The number one thing that Laodicea was known for was their water. It was so, so bad that for those who, who would travel to Laodicea for goods or services, many times whenever their water touched their lips for the first time, they would immediately begin to dry heave and vomit. So for everything that Laodicea did have, the one thing that they were lacking was their own water supply. And so as a result, they were dependent on this aqueduct system that would pipe in water for miles around. And, and as the water was being piped in, the water would become so full of sediment and other de debris that it was virtually undrinkable. 
But whenever you look at Laodicea, it's so interesting. Whenever you look at Laodicea, especially to the north and to the south, there were all kinds of great drinking supplies there. To the north, you had these hot springs that would provide clean, hot water. To the south, there were these mountains that would provide pure, cold water. But by the time that the water traveled to Laodicea, by the time it made its way to Laodicea, the hot water was no longer hot, therefore it was no longer good for cleaning or anything else. The cold water was no longer cold, meaning it was no longer refreshing or good for anything else. It was, you know, I know we live in a big co coffee society. It was like, you know, there are some people who like iced coffee. There are some people who like hot coffee. But there are very, very few day pe people who like three-day-old coffee. It's just not what you're, you're looking for, but, but, but that's what they had. So their water, it was just lukewarm. And water that is lukewarm is good for nothing. It's useless. So let's take a look at what Jesus says to this self-sufficient, wealthy church who needs nothing from nobody. In Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Jesus says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of of God's creation. And before I get into the rest of Jesus' letter, I just want to point out something because I think it's so important for us to notice how Jesus describes himself at the very beginning of this letter. He is telling the church in Laodicea, I am the fulfillment of the promises. I am the fulfillment of the promises that you've been waiting for. I am the fulfillment of the promises that you've read about or you've heard about throughout the ministry of Jesus. He is the amen, meaning that he is the, the so be it. Whenever we say amen at the end of a prayer, that's all we're saying is, Jesus, what I am praying, so be it. He is the amen. He is the so be it. So Jesus is making it clear from the very, very beginning how, how he stands in stark contrast to the Christians in Laodicea. Where Jesus is reliable, the Laodiceans, they're not. Where Jesus is faithful, the Laodiceans, they are not. Where Jesus is the true witness, the Laodiceans have no real witness at all. So he continues in verse 15, he says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot, but I wish that you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say that I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are not rich, but you are wretched, you are pitiful, you are poor, you are blind, and you are naked. I counsel you to buy gold from me, or, or buy, buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. But listen to verse 19. He says, but to those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Whenever you go back up to verse 15 and you see Jesus say that he wishes that they were either hot nor cold. So, so often I think in the church we misinterpret this verse because Jesus was not saying that I wish you were either a believer or you weren't. He was not saying I wish you were a believer or an atheist. That's not what Jesus was saying because obviously Jesus, he has called all people to follow him. He has called all people by his name and he desires for all people to be saved. 
Instead, Jesus is just simply pointing back to the water in Laodicea, saying, I just wish you were good for something. But they're not. The church in Laodicea is a useless church. So Jesus tells this group of Laodicean Christians that that they make him sick. They make him want to vomit, to spew, to blow chunks, to, to ralph, to toss his cookies. That this whole attitude of, that, that says, well, I'm rich and, and I'm educated and I don't need anyone for anything. Jesus says, oh, my, 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 no, 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 no. You're pitiful. You're poor. You're blind. And you're naked. This church, they, they have this perception of themselves that is so, so far from who they actually And church, what I believe might be the most frightening thing about this entire letter is that the Laodiceans had no idea that Jesus thought about them the way that he did. They thought that Jesus would would be impressed with the lives they had built for themselves. They thought that that he would be proud of their self-sufficiency. And they never stopped to consider the arrogance of the statement that just says, I got this. I don't need any. I got this completely on my own. They completely overlooked the beauty that is found in the Lord's Prayer. We're familiar with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then the very first ask, the very first ask in in, in the Lord's Prayer, which is so interesting that it's not the very beginning, because whenever I look at so many of our prayers, our prayers begin with our asks. But the very first ask in the Lord's Prayer comes after telling God how great he is and inviting his kingdom and his will to supersede over our kingdom and our will. But the very first ask that we see in the Lord's Prayer is this. Give us this day our daily bread. There is something so, so beautiful about the prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Even if you have a pantry full of food, you are still completely dependent upon Jesus. Even if you have all kinds of zeros in your bank account, you are still completely dependent upon Jesus. And whenever we miss that, whenever we miss that, we begin to go down a path that will lead us to becoming lukewarm, useless Christians. Because we are still dependent upon Jesus for love, for joy, for peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And the beautiful thing about this Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, is it doesn't mean that we're worried about tomorrow's bread today. Tomorrow will have enough worries for itself. But instead, we are just solely and completely dependent for Jesus to provide for us to be able to make it through this day. But the Laodiceans, they think that they're rich. But Jesus says, you're not rich. And in fact, you need the gold that is refined in the fire that only I can give you. You think that you have fine clothes, that you're the envy of all, that you are just so, so well-dressed. No, you need the pure white clothes that only I can provide. You think that you know medicine, that you have the corner market, or that you have the, the, the market cornered on this eye medication. Jesus says, no, 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 no. 
You're blind, and I'm the only one who can give you sight. But then don't miss this in verse 19. Because in verse 19, we see that no matter how frustrated Jesus is with his church, he just can't let them go. Church, Christian, hold on to that. He just can't let them go. And so he says, to those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. And now I know that all of our mamas taught us, if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. And I'm telling you, I love my mama. And if I had a chance to get to know your mama, I'm sure that I'd love her too. But sometimes, there's simply just nothing nice to be said. And the most loving thing you can do is to tell the truth. Jesus shows that whenever you truly love someone, that you're willing to discipline or correct them when necessary. That you're willing to invite change into someone's life. That you're not going to just sit back and be a spectator to the decisions that they're making that do not honor Jesus or benefit who they are becoming. But Jesus here, he says, this this is what I've done for you. I'm doing this for you. Why? Because I love you. The high school basketball coach in my hometown whenever I was growing up, he, he often said this, don't be worried whenever I'm yelling at you and critiquing you. I'm doing that because I want you to be the best you can be. But be worried when I stop. Because that means that I've given up on you. And in a sense, we see Jesus saying that here, doing that here. This is how Jesus treats those he cares about. With a powerful rebuke. But as powerful as this rebuke was, it's followed by an equally beautiful promise. And in Revelation 3, beginning in verse 20, Jesus says, But here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Then he says, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And whenever you go back and look through these seven letters to these seven churches, you will see that to the church that received the strongest rebuke, Jesus gives the most loving promise. He says, I stand at the door and knock. And maybe you've heard words like this out of Jesus' mouth before, but normally whenever you hear these words come out of Jesus' mouth, it's in the context of, of open the door to your heart, open the door to your life, open the door and let Jesus come in because the Savior is waiting, right? It's beautiful, it's wonderful, and it's true, and it's absolutely necessary, And it's 100% not what this passage is about. Because the door that Jesus is knocking on is the church door. The door that Jesus is knocking on is the door to his own house. It bears his name. Whenever you look in the mailbox on on this house, it says Jesus' name. It's his home. He owns it. It's his And the church has pushed him out. 
This is such a stark, stark picture. Can you even begin to imagine Jesus, he invites the church, he invited the Laodiceans into his own home. And as a result, they said, oh, thanks, Jesus, but we got this. As a result, they said, oh, thanks, Jesus, but we're good. And they just kept moving him further and further and further away until eventually Jesus is standing outside of his own house, the one that he invited them into. And he's knocking, begging to be let in. He let them in, and they kicked him out. You see, the problem with the church in Laodicea is that Jesus is not inside the church, he's an outsider at his own church. And the terrifying thing is that the church doesn't even notice. Jesus so desperately wants to be with them. He so desperately wants to eat with them. And as crazy as it sounds, he wants for them to share his throne with him. There is absolutely no chance of this happening unless they repent. Martin Luther, the, the one who helped found the Reformation, he, he said this. He said, all of a Christian's life is one of repentance. Church, repentance isn't something that you do just one time whenever you come and accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Repentance isn't just this single moment in history, but repentance is constant. Repentance is the awareness of where you've gone astray, when you've gone astray, where you've compromised, and where you've put your desires and your, and your, 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 your desires and your agenda and your wants before Jesus and his desires and his agendas and his wants for you. And it's when we stop repenting as Christians that our hearts begin to grow cold. It's when we stop repenting as Christians that we begin to become lukewarm. It's when we stop repenting as Christians that we begin to become useless Christians. So let me ask you this again. What are your expectations whenever you come to church? What are your expectations whenever you open up Scripture? Because here's what I can tell you. If you're always right, if you're always defending, if you're always blaming, if you're always judging, if you're always excusing yourself, if you're always overlooking your own errors, your own faults, and your own failures, if Jesus never disagrees with you, if you're never convicted or challenged by Scripture, then two things are true. Number one, you're on the fast track to becoming lukewarm. And number two, you're not even following Jesus. You're following yourself and pretending that it's Jesus to make yourself feel good. But the way back is repentance. The way back is found in the cross of Jesus Christ, the hope that surpasses all of our shortcomings.
his death, his burial, and his resurrection that shows that this changes everything, that whenever things look their worst, that God is often up to his best. The thing that gives us the promise that Jesus is standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking, longing to be let in. He's knocking and he's longing to renew fellowship with you. And this was an invitation to the church in Laodicea and it's an invitation to the church today as well to realize that these things that we've learned to love, our wealth, our health, our fine clothes, that none of them will last. None of them will last. And so Jesus is knocking and saying, so turn to me, come to me, come back to me, those of you who have wandered away, because I have the gold that you truly need to be rich. I have the pure white clothes that you truly need to cover your shame and your nakedness. And I have the medicine that you truly need to bring healing to your soul because in the end, the Christian life is not solely about living a certain way. The Christian life is about encountering and meeting and surrendering to Jesus and allowing the way we live to flow through him. And so today, may we take heed, may we practice the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Whenever he said this, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then let everything else take care of itself. Will you pray with me this morning? Jesus, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the hope that you give. And God, I do pray, Holy Spirit, that you will torment our souls. And the areas that we have gone astray, that you will bring us back, that you will convict us where we need to be convicted, that you will humble us where we need to be humbled. And Jesus, that you will use us to do great, great things in this world, to do more than say that we love you, to prove it in the way that we love others. Jesus, today, will you speak? Will you speak here today, Jesus? And Holy Spirit, will you please give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches? Jesus, we pray all these things in your name. Amen.